1: Nicole Zazowski is a licensed marriage and family therapist and author of the new book From Lost to Found that comes out on January 28th. She is based in the state of Connecticut where she lives with her husband and two sons. As an old soul who wears her heart proudly on her sleeve, Nicole loves using her words to help others find an enduring peace and joy outside of circumstance. Enjoy this episode.
0: Well, welcome to The Action Catalyst. This is Dan Moore, and it is such a pleasure for us today to have Nicole Zasowski with us. She comes to us from the northeastern part of the United States, and this is a really auspicious week. This is Thanksgiving week when this has been recorded, and her book is going to be coming out in about two months' time, a great way to start the new year. The book is called From Lost to Found, Giving Up What You Think You Want for What Will Set You Free. So, Nicole, thank you so much for joining us on The Action Catalyst.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be here.
0: Well, I got a question. You describe yourself as an old soul who wears her heart on her sleeve. Yes. Can you (laughs) share that with us?
1: Sure. Um, I think I've always, uh, I grew up um, sort of loving adult conversations, Mm -hmm. and I think I just kind of came out of the womb that way. I I think it's always been in my nature to... um, like deep conversations and I've never been much of a gal for small talk. So, um, and I also really love hearing people's stories and sharing um, the ways that I've grown through my own and some of the obstacles that I've faced. Um, And so I think when we do wear our heart on our sleeve, we connect more easily with each other um, and there's more opportunities to grow. So that's kind of always been in my DNA.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you're willing to be vulnerable because wearing the heart on the sleeve means anybody can take a stab at it.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: So that's important. Can you, can you share just a, a little bit of, of bio? You know, you've had several things that have happened in your life that culminated in, in your work today and helping other people and helping them find the real source of happiness and joy. So maybe just share some of the pivot points along the way or key influences, things that made a real difference to you.
1: Absolutely. Uh, well, I'm a marriage and family therapist. That's what I. That's my main job, um, and I knew pretty early on that that's what I wanted to do. I would say about sophomore year in college, I made that decision and really never looked back. Um, and then a couple years into my training and working with clients. Um, I realized that I was personally missing out on the peace and joy that I was so passionate about helping others find. Um, I thought that I was living my life with emotional freedom, um, but really I was a slave to performance and perfectionism. Um, And it wasn't until I confronted my own pain, my own roadblocks um, that I Realized that I was not living in that freedom at all. And so it started this journey of um, really discovering for myself what I knew to be true in my head, but wasn't trusting in my heart. Um, And that's when writing became a part of my uh, career. I wasn't planning on being a writer or writing a book, (laughs) Um, but I started processing. All the ways that I was growing as a result of these roadblocks. Um, And in writing that down and processing that with my friends and family and also my clients, um, I realized that this is a common theme that we all experience. And so I began to write the book, and the rest is history.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I know among the the different roadblocks and obstacles you face have been five miscarriages, which was just incredibly hard to even imagine, let alone to live through. Mm, Um, And each of those, each of those lives um, contributed to your faith and to Mm -hmm. being who you are. Um, What kind of, did you pull from some of those just horrible events that you can share by way of encouragement to people that are dealing with, with unexpected tragedy in their own lives?
1: Sure. I think, um, I mean, so many things. I, I think I write that each one was equally painful, but um, taught me a little something different uh, as I experienced each one a little bit differently. I think some of the things I realized was that um, with this week being Thanksgiving, it's actually been on my mind uh, extra um, heavily, is that I think there's blessing in any story that cultivates growth. I used to think that being blessed meant you know, having the dream realized or the goal achieved or getting exactly what we want in terms of things turning out exactly how we envisioned. Um, but what I've realized is that there's blessing in any story um, that makes us whole um, and brings us back to knowing where our identity really comes from and knowing what makes us secure. Um And that doesn't always feel good. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, That isn't always a pleasant experience. But I think anytime there's opportunity for growth, um, there's blessing there. And we confront, and for me, it was miscarriages, as you said. For other people, um, it might look like a different kind of tragedy or a different challenge. But I think when we confront the thing we cannot change It has the opportunity to change us. And we have a choice at that point. We don't always have a choice about whether or not it happens, but we have a choice as to what we do with it. Are we going to look at that loss and grieve it and also take with us the treasures that we can take into the future? Or are we going to let the brokenness or the loss or the grief define us? Um, And I think. It took a while. It took a, and I'm still on that journey. Um, but I've learned that the the better road is to choose the growth. Hmm.
0: Not an easy road to choose because, as no. you say, we we go through stages, and one of the stages is this denial and bargaining, and didn't really happen, or can yes. we find some way? If I just live better, that these things will go away. And, yes. And you have to go through all those stages to get to that acceptance point. Hmm. Which which you've certainly done. Um, your faith is, of course, the central governing fact in your existence, which is yes. fantastic. And you have described uh, God's form of rescue mm. as basically prying our fingers off what we, uh, what we think we want mm-hmm. so that we can actually be open to what it is that we need. Um, mm-hmm. Prying our fingers. I have this vision of hanging on <laughs> tightly and prying is, is not easy. Um, no. So what what do, in your experience, people tend to cling to and hold on to um, mm. that may be getting in the way of their healing?
1: Yeah, well, I think for me, um, my own vision of how things, how I wanted things to turn out was what I was clinging on to so tightly. And I think for a lot of us, that's the case. Um, I believed that if I just worked hard enough, I could make whatever I wanted to happen, happen. Um, if I just won the right people over, if I made the right connections, um, I had a f- false sense of control, which I think in American culture is quite a common thing that we all cling to, um, that we can make things happen. And not all of that is bad. Um, but I think when our own vision keeps us from receiving God's provision, <laughs> um, which I was so in that spot um for so long, then sometimes God's rescue does look like that prying of our fingers off what we think we want and actually what will ultimately destroy us. And it it doesn't feel loving all the time. It doesn't yeah. feel warm and cozy. And I I used to think of God's rescue as again, you know, receiving the things that I wanted or um kind of that that warm, cozy feeling. But I do know that he, he loves me enough to take my hands off what will hurt me um, and what I won't let go of on my own. Um, and some of us have the foresight to let go of those things on our own. Um, but the story I write about in the book, it was very much that prying. Um, mm-hmm. I was so hesitant to let go of my own performance, my own control um, and my perfectionism. The things that made me feel valuable and safe.
0: And when you consider that each of us is a pretty small island mm-hmm. trying, to, trying too hard to control in an ocean mm-hmm. uh, we there's not a lot we can control and no. it can get in the way of really hearing the the proper message. Exactly. Um, I think you just described really what faith is all about Nicole mm-hmm. it's 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 the willingness to to let go mm-hmm. you know there's, there's the ancient story of a person that fell off a cliff and caught themselves grabbing a branch just like that. And a voice from above said, just let go. Mm. Just let go. And the person thought and thought and then said, is there someone else up there I can talk to? <laughs> <laughs> because that letting go is so difficult and we cling. Yeah. So
1: yes, exactly. Yeah, I I think I was that person asking for about five different people I could talk to. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So you found that when you could just let go, and as the proverb goes, let go, let God, Mm -hmm. then you could start to heal more and become more just accepting of what's happening.
1: Yeah. And I even played that out in my relationship with God. You know, I thought that if I proved that I could grieve well enough for him, if I could show him that I was doing a good job, which didn't at all fit with what I knew to be true about God, but it just shows how tenacious some of that grip is um, because I was even trying to prove myself to him. And when I was just finally honest about how much that loss hurt, uh, how fearful I was about losing more babies in the future um, to miscarriage, that uh, I was met with a comfort I didn't even know was possible. Um, and I think that's what ultimately that prying, is not to hurt us. It's so that we can have open hands to receive a comfort and a love and um, that we didn't know was possible before.
0: That surpasses all understanding. Yes. Hmm. Um, Along the way, uh, Mm -hmm. relationships of course have been very important. Have you learned that there's a sort of a category of, of person that we might think is our friend, but actually isn't who we should be spending time to with someone that maybe is throwing gas on the fires instead of helping mm. us put them out. Because mm. you're in a relationship counseling business. And that's so important The people we associate with any general thoughts or guidelines there when somebody's going through a really tough time.
1: Absolutely. I think, thankfully, and you brought this up earlier, vulnerability, um, it largely thanks to Brene Brown, it has been uh, more of a mainstream conversation in recent years, and I think it's a great conversation to be having. I think it connects us uh, closely with each other. Um, I say that vulnerability is best served with boundaries, and what mm-hmm. I mean what I mean by that is um, different relationships uh, sounds harsh, but have earned the right to hear different parts of our story. Um, so. Obviously, vulnerability requires risk, um, but we're going to share different things with different people based on how safe that person has shown themselves to be. Um, and as a counselor, I know that we need a really high degree of reliability um, in order for a relationship to feel safe. I think the research says between 92 and 95% reliability. Um, or somewhere in that high, you know, low 90s range, um, for a relationship to feel safe. Um, and so that's a lot of predictability that, that happens over the course of time. Um, and again, there's always risk because you have to try it at some point opening up. Um, but I think people that are in general, honest enough to tell you the truth, um, that will help you grow and won't let you stay where you are. Um, The people that listen and honor where you're at um, and also encourage you to take that next step forward. Um, And, you know, people that will go at your pace um, as you grieve and know that grief is not a linear process. Um, You alluded to this earlier that there's different Stations, And I call them stations and not stages because we we probably revisit them. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we might do a little denial. We might do a little anger. We might do, you know, and, and kind of come back to those. Um, and it's not a linear process. So people that will sit in the mud with you um, and walk that out rather than pulling you along in a direction that may not be helpful.
0: mm-hmm. So be there, support, um, be trustworthy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Don't necessarily try to direct a whole lot, but when there's at that point of decision, a little push sometimes of what somebody might need.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: interesting. Well, stations is a great term. As a Catholic, <laughs> as a Catholic, stations of the cross means something very definite to Yes,
1: me. absolutely.
0: And the the stations of uh grief. Um mm-hmm. great way to think about that. Mm-hmm. Um what, what would you advise somebody, Nicole, if, if they have been playing a hand pretty successfully throughout their life, and then suddenly they discover they're totally out of aces? They, mm-hmm. they, they don't really know what to do. Maybe their financing's gone away. Maybe their primary relationship has just evaporated. Um, there's all kinds of things that just surprise us. Um, have you developed or thought about a sort of a step-by-step that you could, could guide our listeners and myself in that regard?
1: Mm, that's a great question. And it really resonates with my personal experience. Uh, I love that term out of aces. Um, mm-hmm. Because unfortunately, or fortunately, the, uh, the things that I had done to defend against pain, performance, perfectionism, control, all the things I've mentioned um, before, they were working for me. Um, they weren't really working in terms of me being healthy and whole and connecting with other people. But because our culture really celebrates those things, um, they went under the radar for a really long time until I confronted this season where I discovered I was out of aces. There was nothing I could do to make it different. And so um, one of the the first steps, um, and obviously a lot of this will depend on the specific situation, but empty hands is such a painful experience when you feel like you're out of cards to play. Um, it feels helpless. It feels powerless, but being able to look at those empty hands and realize that empty hands are also open. Um, and they're open to receiving a different truth than we had before. Um, and anytime you find yourself with empty hands, the question I would ask is, where is there an opportunity for me to give myself a different message about what makes me valuable and what makes me safe? Hmm. Because chances are (laughs) I found myself in this empty handed position because I have trusted the wrong answer to those questions. Um, And for me, uh, that one example would be that, that my identity is only as good as my last performance. That was a lie that I believed that left me empty handed. Um, or, you know, that I can, that having ultimate control is the only way to keep myself safe. Um, and if you find yourself with empty hands, there's usually an opportunity to answer that question differently in a way that's more sure and that you can hold something more, um, that can't be taken away.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. So the, the familiar sources of comfort can get stripped away and that's when you realize they weren't Actual comfort, they were just apparent comfort in the short run.
1: Yeah. And that is, I could say this now, um, because while I'm not thankful for what's happened in my life, I have been able to get to a place where I can be thankful in it, because that's the best gift I've ever been given, is Mm. the failure of those false securities and the props to my faith that were never meant to hold my weight. Um, and it was extremely disorienting when they were stripped away. Um, but I did, I was given the gift of empty hands to hold something more sure. And I'm so grateful for that.
0: Hmm. Cause a person could spend their lifetime looking for the wrong kind of supports.
1: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> so uh, you, you had the courage and the faith to, to rely on that, which never changes, mm-hmm. which uh, is is fantastic. Um, you have some really interesting article titles that I hope you'll expand on a little bit.
1: <laughs> sure. Uh,
0: tell us about the Sunday night blues and how no. to how to avoid the Sunday night blues.
1: Sure. Um, I, for some reason, the Sunday night blues, Some people call them the Sunday night scaries. There's different phrases out there, um, but I think as someone that has always defined their or struggled to it. Identify themselves not based on their performance. I think the night before the week starts, um, where there's all these opportunities to fail mm. <laughs> or succeed, um, made the week probably more daunting than um, it it should have been. Um, and so, the biggest tip I I have on that one now that I've you know been wrestling with this for a while. Um, i have some more practical things but also just this idea that reminding myself that my identity is not in what i do um that experiencing failure doesn't make me a failure that there's a difference between experiencing disappointment and being a disappointment and i think that has really freed me up to go for those goals to reach out to try things without feeling like my identity's on the line mm. um and it's made the week far less <laughs> scary. Um, even if I might be overwhelmed by the amount of things I have to do on a given week, um, when my identity is put on the line, that's where I start to feel the heaviness of the week ahead. Um, but yes, and I also think, you know, really using Sunday to rest um, and not get ahead and has just been a reminder for me that my life happens because of God's grace, not because of my own grit and I'm still going to work hard. I'm still going to put my best effort toward what I feel like he's calling me to do. Um, but ultimately the gifts in life that I receive are a result of his grace and not my own grit. Um, and so taking a day to not try and get ahead or outwork, um, my projects reminds me of that truth. And it just puts me in a more settled place.
0: Hmm. I think I hear your next book title.
1: His
0: <laughs> his, his grace, not my grit.
1: There you go. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind, actually. <laughs> right.
0: Well, I think we've all had the experience of, uh, of wasting a Sunday because mm. it's filled with dread of Monday. Yes. And uh, being in the moment is what you're talking about. And
1: mm-hmm.
0: willing to fail doesn't mean you're going to fail, but right. it's the acceptance that it might not happen the way we want it to but it'll happen the way it's supposed to if Mm -hmm. we do our best
1: yep and there's more opportunity there if we do fail there's learning there's growing and there's an opportunity to try again
0: right that's that's awesome do you have kind of a morning routine Nicole something something that gets you started each day that is fairly consistent Mm -hmm. that you can pass on
1: well, I'm laughing because I have a two-week-old right now. So, oh,
0: you have an all-day, all-night routine. <laughs>
1: yes, exactly.
0: <laughs> Congratulations! Morning,
1: thank you so much. My morning starts at three thirty, and then it, it kind of involves some sleep again. And um, so, the answer to your question in general is yes. Um, and I'm going to be really honest with you that it takes a lot of discipline for me to go through a season where I'm doing this consistently. Um, but when I was writing this book uh, was was where I was best when I was best at it, uh, because it was essential that I get up and use those early morning hours. But um, I think your morning routine starts with a bedtime <laughs> that is <laughs> early enough and gives you enough rest to be able to do this. But um, I think the research has shown that we're most creative during those morning hours where we don't have. Uh, the stress of interruption or filters on our mind and heart. We're sort of awake to the day fresh. Um, And so I usually get my coffee, um, burn a candle, uh, and just write. And it might be nonsense. It might be um, an outpouring of my heart to God. It might be book-related, but it's usually going to be something that's journal like in helping me process um the inner of my heart and mind um and getting that out on paper uh and what that looks like is different on different days um and then i follow that with some sort of devotional i'm doing at the time or you know a chapter of old and new testament i kind of go through different reading plans so mm-hmm. uh just to remind myself of that truth at the outset of the day before I need it. (laughs) Um, Because I find that if I wait for pain to come at some point during the day, or if I wait for that disappointment um, and I'm scrambling to find that truth, it's a lot less effective than if it's been top of mind at the top of the day.
0: Hmm. The whole notion that you, the time to develop emotional resilience is not the moment you need it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Beforehand.
1: Exactly. Um, exactly.
0: Putting on the full shield and armor before we're in the battle.
1: Um, exactly.
0: So that, that's powerful. Um, another one that's kind of related to this, because you spoke about be sure you get to bed at night. Mm-hmm. You, you have an article called Why Rest is Different mm-hmm. Than Escape.
1: Mm-hmm. So when, what's
0: that tell us?
1: Yeah, I think this is tricky because, I, and it was an issue I was wrestling with this summer, Because we can look at somebody resting or escaping, and we may not be able to tell the difference between the two based on what they're doing. It's really a matter of Mm -hmm. the the head and the heart. Um, And being able to say, what is driving uh, this rest or escape? Is it pain-driven? Is it that I just want to check out? And that's more escape. It has a more numbing effect. Um, And that's one of the ways that people cope with their pain is to just numb out. And all that does is hit pause on the pain. It doesn't help us process it. It doesn't help us grow from it. Um, It just hits pause on moving through it. Um, Whereas rest is restorative. It's connecting. It helps us engage with our creator and with other people in a way that's healing Um, and actually brings restoration that puts us in a different place than we were before, um, rather than just picking us up and sending us right back down where we started. Um, but largely a lot of the activities that we do to rest or escape could fall into either category. It's just a matter of what's driving it and how you're spending that time.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Vacations, I think taking the right mindset to that,
1: Mm -hmm. that that
0: it should be a chance to, to chill, of course, and relax a bit, but also to just let things flow. Just uh, don't try to control every moment of it. Otherwise it becomes more like work and
1: Mm -hmm.
0: not the joyful kind of work.
1: Exactly. And I actually wrote that article on vacation (laughs) I (laughs) think because I was wrestling with, you know, I don't, I want to come back different. I don't just want to, be so burnt out and then go into numb out and then come back to the same place I was before.
0: That's that's fantastic. Well you use the word rest and restoration in the same sentence and I think mm. they go very closely together. They do. This is fantastic. Well Nicole I want all of our listeners and and viewers to to know about your book from Lost to Found. I'll be available on January 28th at Amazon and where all great books are sold. And any place, yes. in fact, which is great. Are there other ways people could connect with you? Do you have a, a website or things that you like to access for people?
1: Absolutely. Um, I love connecting with people on my website. Uh, and that's just my name, Nicole Zazowski, N I C O L E Z A S O W S K I dot com. And then uh, Instagram is another place that I love connecting with uh, readers and followers. And that's just my name as well.
0: Well, that's good. So listeners, if you're driving, don't stop and write down that last name.
1: Right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but there, there will be that opportunity. Yes. So Nicole, thank you so much for, for sharing part of your Thanksgiving week with us. Your message is of thankfulness. It is of true faith. And it really leads to the right kind of joy that does transcend all understanding and your unselfishness willingness to share. We thank you for that.
1: Thanks so much for having me and giving me the opportunity to share. I really appreciate it.
0: Good. And, and thank that two-week-old for giving us uh, 30 <laughs> minutes will. of concentrated time.
1: I will. Thank All you. All right. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.